Oh my god, I was so nervous about this one. You will probably be able to hear it in my voice. I have been listening to Rishikesh Hirway's podcasts for a very long time. I mean, Song Exploder, West Wing Weekly, Home Cooking. I even listened to the three-episode miniseries he did for Google Music, which is how I learned about the existence of bounce music in New Orleans. Look it up. Anyway, having him on Follow Friday was a dream come true for me. And you know what else would be a dream? If you told someone else about Follow Friday. We are past the one-year mark, and I still love doing this show, but it needs your help to keep growing. So please tell a friend, tell your coworkers, tell your Twitter followers, whatever it is you do, I appreciate your support. I also appreciate our patrons over at patreon.com slash followfriday. You're listening to the public feed, which means you're going to hear four follow recommendations from Rishikesh Hirway today, but he actually gave me five, and if you want to hear all five, then come check out the Patreon page. Lastly, I want to thank this week's sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Kelsis, which pairs startups with expertly assembled software development teams. They work with funded startups across multiple industries to help them get to market fast. Learn more and get in touch at K-E-L-S-U-S dot com. Today is a good day to meet some new friends. Everyone make a way. The show is a buffet of folks you should know. So let's have a swirl. Well, that's enough for a place. I'm Eric Johnson. Welcome to Follow Friday, the podcast about who you should follow online. Every week, I talk to creative people about who they follow and why. This is a guided tour to the best people on the internet, led by your favorite writers, podcasters, comedians, and more. If this is your first episode of the show, take a moment now and please follow or subscribe in your podcast app. Today on the show is Rishikesh Hirway, the host of the podcast and Netflix series Song Exploder, and co-host of Home Cooking and West Wing Weekly. He's also a TED speaker and a composer and a musician who has performed with everyone from Lakeith Stanfield to Yo-Yo Ma. You can find Rishikesh on Twitter and Instagram at Rishi Hirway. That's spelled H-R-I-S-H-I-H-I-R-W-A-Y. Rishikesh, welcome to Follow Friday. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, you were a recommendation of a previous guest on the show, Bijan Steven. And first off, we should tell folks that you are going to be on tour in a couple weeks with the singer-songwriter Jenny Owen Youngs. I already have my tickets to see you in San Francisco, <laughs> but explain what you and Jenny are going to be doing on this tour. Awesome. Yeah, we're doing one combined set where we're going to be performing as a duo, playing each other's songs together. So half the songs will be mine and half the songs will be Jenny, but we're going to play them all together. That sounds like fun. And you're going to do a mixture of songs and storytelling? Yeah. And I think we're also going to be doing a lot of storytelling in between. So people who might know us from music will uh, get to hear songs and people who might know us from podcasts will get to hear us sort of talking and doing that thing too. Wonderful. Well, so I've uh, mentioned this in the episode with Bijan that your podcast with Samin Nasrat, Home Cooking, was very important to me, helped get me through some of the darker days of this pandemic. And mm. one of the hallmarks of the show is that you like to torture Samin with food puns. <laughs> so before we get to your follows, I have to know, 
were you coming up with those on the fly or before each podcast taping, were you cramming, like trying to think of what can I pun with arugula? No, no. <laughs> I, I, you know, I like to practice my wordplay, you know, in real time. So it has to, <laughs> it really only happens in reaction to something that she says. It's not really stuff that uh, I could ever come up with beforehand. Um, I think part of the reason why it was fun for me and painful for her is because it would be based on something that she had just said. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, before the puns start flying, let's find out who Rishikesh Hirway follows. And you can follow along with us today. Every person he recommends will be linked in the show notes and in the transcript at followfridaypodcast.com. It's Follow Friday. Rishikesh, before the show, I gave you a list of categories and asked you to tell me four people you follow who fit in those categories. Your first pick is in the category someone you just started following, and you said Sumesh Hirway, who is on Instagram at Sumesh Hirway, and Sumesh is spelled S-U-M-E-S-H. Sumesh is a food scientist, a frequent celebrity guest on home cooking, and also your dad, <laughs> and you only just started following him? What's that about? Well, he only just recently started an Instagram account. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> he started He started an Instagram account, and... It's, I don't know what to say about it. I don't know how many people in their 80s have Instagram accounts, but my dad <laughs> is one. Um, the way he primarily uses it is kind of, it's kind of a disaster, but it's also entertaining. It's certainly entertaining for people who aren't his children. <laughs> for me, it's like a little bit mortifying, but it's also like, oh, well, what am I going to do? Like, sure. Right. He, he mostly takes pictures of articles in the New York Times food section that he has enjoyed. Right. He takes a picture of them and then posts the photo on Instagram and and says that, you know, this was a good article. But because it's a picture of the print version of the New York Times, you can't actually read anything. And because he doesn't really understand cropping and stuff like that, a lot of the times the headline is cut off. um, So you couldn't even necessarily find it. A lot of times the photos are upside down or sideways yeah, it's it's incredibly charming. <laughs> yeah, um, it's <laughs> it seems almost like Dadaist uh, art or something like that. Um, but it's my father, so really, it's it's Daddyist art. I, I'm I'm glad the Soulsberger family hasn't come after him for pirating their their content. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but is is uh, how would you describe his relationship with the internet as as a man in his 80s? Like, is he? an online person in any other way? Is he someone who, I don't know, ever throws out any any hot takes about the internet, uh, your direction? I would say he's pretty online, um, especially for someone his age. He listens to a lot of podcasts through like a Google home speaker. And, uh, and that's what he uses to listen to podcasts, including mine. And yeah, he has some troubles just like like any parent might but you know especially when we were recording episodes of home cooking and um, I'd be trying to get my dad to record a local version of himself while also talking to us so it meant like using multiple devices because we would be mm-hmm. asking him to zoom on on his laptop with us while also recording a voice memo on his phone to send right. send to us to have a better recording that was I think challenging uh, for both of us, Samin found it very amusing. And I think that's basically how people feel about his Instagram as well. They enjoy it. And I don't know how this happened, but 
he has almost 5,000 followers on Instagram. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's a home cooking bump for you there. You know, you just get a little exposure and yeah. <laughs> Considering what he posts, it really it does not line up, but <laughs> speaking of home cooking, is he still obsessed with his air fryer or has he moved on to something else? <laughs> no, he is obsessed with his air fryer. He has a bunch of things that he gets excited about. He recently did a whole taste testing project where he tried three different saffrons from three different countries and he made uh, he made like an Indian dessert called Shrikhand using the saffron from from each country and then uh, and he wrote it all up and he asked me to edit it <laughs> so he could send it in an, in an email to a few different people so he's still a food scientist very much uh, at heart even though he's retired yeah well what was that like having a food scientist father when you were growing up like how did that affect your relationship with food did you have constant experiments or lectures about the nature of food, uh, you know, in the kitchen? You know, when I was growing up, not so much because at the time when I was younger, my dad's job in food science was more in like sort of health and safety and quality control. Ah. Um, And then it was only later, it was only once I was sort of in my twenties that my dad got a job that was closer to his heart. That was more in like R and D and, and new product development. So it was really the last 15 years of his career or so that he was doing those kinds of experiments. And so I would get those lectures and we would have those kinds of conversations. But it was more like when I was an adult or a young adult um, than when I was a kid. Well, that was Samesh Hirway, Instagram's new hottest star. Follow him (laughs) at Samesh Hirway. It's Final Friday. Rishikesh, let's move on to your next follow. I asked you for someone you don't know but want to be friends with, and you said Rose Matafeo, who is on Twitter at Rose underscore Matafeo and on Instagram at Rose Matafeo, and Matafeo is spelled M-A-T-A-F-E-O. Rose is a comedian from New Zealand and the creator of a BBC series called Starstruck. What was your introduction to her or her work? A friend of mine posted on uh, our Instagram stories that Starstruck was a show that she really loved. And she's a very funny person. She's a writer on on the HBO show Barry and uh, someone whose opinion I take very seriously. And, and I think that was the first time I'd seen Starstruck. And then I think maybe even the next day, certainly the same week, I think Samin also told me how much she loved that show, that she had just binged all six episodes of the first season in in one day and that she thought it was great. So those two recommendations came kind of back to back. And I think that weekend, my wife, Lindsay, and I watched the entire first season. We did the same thing. We watched all six episodes in one night. And I've gone back now and, and rewatched uh, the, the season two. It's so great. And there's a second season that's coming out. I think it's already out in, in the UK, but it hasn't come out yet uh, here in America. So for people like me who who are uh, ignorant to the greatness of Starstruck, who haven't watched it yet, what's the show about? Like, what makes it so good? It's a rom-com about two people who meet and kind of fall for each other and kind of in fits and starts. Rose plays one of the characters and the other character is like unbeknownst to her when she when they first get together is a very famous actor. She's pretty drunk when they first meet, and she so she doesn't like quite put it all together until the next day that she actually knows who that is. <laughs> and she's sort of like a normal person, and he is this uh, movie star. And I thought it was great, really funny. Also, it was really nice to see the movie star character 
is Indian. He's played and he's played by an Indian actor. And it was just there was something so nice and refreshing about the idea that that could be that that could even exist in the reality of the show. And there's never really there isn't really attention drawn to it in a way that is at all. I mean, like his family, his upbringing, they're part of the story, but like it's never brought up as like, oh, he's a famous movie star, despite the fact that he is, you know, Indian or something like that. Right. I mean, it's it's the UK and things are different in terms of uh, prominence of Indian people in mainstream culture. But still, it was really cool. I, I would have loved the show even despite that. But that aspect <laughs> made me love it even more. And I thought, what a cool thing to create this world and have that be part of it. So that's part of the reason why I want to be friends with with Rose. It was just like, you must be so cool. She's also incredibly funny, both in the show and then because of my fandom now. I've gone back and like watched early, early like videos on YouTube of her right. um, interviewing people for like New Zealand press junket stuff where she's like interviewed. She interviews celebrities and they're so good and so charming and so far above the caliber of those kinds of normal, weird press junket interviews. There's one that I thought was very good where she interviewed Bill Hader. This from like 2015. We're going to do some fast word association. Are you up for that, Bill? I am not. Yes. Let's do it. Okay. Waterbed. (laughs) Well, you know, it's a sexy thing, right? Waterbed. uh, uh, Mirror on the ceiling. Whoa. Air mattress. Uh, uh, Camping. Two for one Thai massage voucher. Four way. Nice. The moon landing. Fake. Finally, someone. Brave enough. Recognize. Brave enough. We're speaking truths right here. This is going to get cut out, but it's important to talk about it. It's great. And, uh, you know, and then I've watched a bunch of uh, things from from British game shows and stuff that she's been on. I find her very charming and very funny. I was just watching the clip of her on 8 out of 10 cats does countdown. I don't, I don't know if you've, you've yeah. seen any of her appearances on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, okay. If, if Rose hears this and she's like, hey, you sound cool too. Let's hang out. What do you want to do first? Do you want to go somewhere with her? Do you want to just get a coffee and talk? Like what, what's, what's first on your list? I think if we were going to hang out, she's a TV and probably going to be a movie star too. She come to, she must come to LA for yeah. meetings and things like that. We could go get lunch. I could do what I did with Samin the first time that we ever hung out in LA, which was I took her on a tour to, of LA to go um, pick up some of my favorite cookies in, in town. Ooh. And that was a good, that was a good introduction to our friendship then uh, a few years ago. So uh, maybe I, maybe I do something like that. That's, that's good. I, I will throw out an alternate suggestion though. This is from Rose's Wikipedia page. Quote, as a teenager, Matafeo participated in Franz Ferdinand message boards, expressing her infatuation for the lead singer Alex Capranos until she was kicked off for, quote, being too racy. And I, 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 <laughs> I think you know Alex Capranos and the Franz Ferdinand guys. So, you know, I think you should you should get them together, get these kids together, turn on a microphone and just to see what happens. But that's just wow. Me. <laughs> That's good information. Well, hopefully you can use it someday. That was Rose Matafeo, who was on Twitter at Rose underscore Matafeo and on Instagram at Rose Matafeo. We are going to take a quick break right now, but we'll be back in a minute with Rishikesh Hirway. Today's show is brought to you by Kelsis, a fully invested technical partner for your business. 
Kelsis works with funded startups across a variety of industries, providing them with an expert team of software developers to help them get to market fast. They have experience working with dozens of companies, helping them build products that can compete, thrive, and exit. Visit telsus.com, that's K-E-L-S-U-S dot com to learn more, and give them a call to meet your new technical co-founder. That's kelsus.com. It's Final Friday! Welcome back to Follow Friday. Rishikesh, I asked you to tell me about someone super talented who's still under the radar, and you said John Mark Nelson, who is on Twitter and Instagram at John Mark Nelson. So John Mark is a musician in Los Angeles. You're a musician in Los Angeles. I assume that you know him in real life? Yeah, we do know each other in real life. We met through my friend Jenny Owen Youngs, the, the person who we talked about earlier, who I'm going on tour with. Jenny is a, a close friend of mine and also a close collaborator of mine. We really became friends through collaborating um, and making music together and writing songs. And she introduced me to John Mark. He's a great songwriter on his own, but I first worked with him because he mixed a soundtrack that I did for a video game. I needed somebody to mix this soundtrack really quickly and elevate it. And I asked Jenny and she said, oh, you should talk to John Mark. And I did. And it was great. I really loved working with him. And then a few months after that, when I was writing songs of my own, I think it was Jenny who suggested that maybe John Mark and I try writing a song together. So we did. And and that became a really, really wonderful collaboration. And so the record that I have coming out at the end of March, it's six songs and half of them I co-wrote with Jenny and half of them I co-wrote with, with John Mark. Oh, wow. And what's, what's the name of that record so people can keep an eye out for it? It's called Rooms I Used to Call My Own. So talk about the collaboration process there. So, so you work with these two collaborators on these songs. Obviously, you, you've worked with a variety of folks, as I mentioned, you know, over the course of your career as a musician, all sorts of collaborations of different types. What does it look like when you're working with someone like John Mark? And what makes a collaborator stand out? Like, what's something he did in that process that made you go like, wow, this is, you know, a really talented guy. This guy gets what we're trying to do here. What I really loved about the process is it prevented me from throwing everything away uh, immediately, um, which was Mm -hmm. what kind of was keeping me from writing songs for a long time. The last record I put out came out in 2011. Um, It's been a really, really long time. And I got into a kind of writer's block where Everything I did it just felt I could immediately talk myself into how stupid it was or how unoriginal it was or just, just you know, I would convince myself to just throw it away and it wasn't right. worth anything. Um, and that kind of went on for a, for a long time. When I met Jenny and she asked me to write a song with her, that was my first time kind of working with somebody who kind of has experience in the co-writing idiom. And I really loved it because I would sort of put out ideas and just having somebody else listen to them and absorb them and, and say, Oh, I like this. Just, it just slowed down the process. You know, what would happen in a split second of me being like, I have an idea. Okay. Let me try it. Oh, that's stupid. Okay. Forget it. Never mind. I quit. I hate it. And I should never be uh, attempting this again. It would just slow that, you know, which would happen in like (laughs) a split second. Suddenly now I would sing something or write a lyric or something or, or both. And one of them, Jenny or, or John Mark, you know, might hear it and they'd be like, oh, oh, I like that. And I'm like, really? Isn't that, isn't that bad? And they're like, no, no, hold on. 
and you know, and then they would play it and I could just hear the same melody and the same words being sung by somebody else. And I could appreciate it in a different way. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, maybe there's something there. And then it could like live for a minute, you know, not every line or every idea made it into the final song, but enough of them survived that I could actually write a song. There could actually be a song by the end of it. So that was really, really incredibly, not just helpful. I mean, really it was, it was life-changing because it meant I was able to make music again. Yeah. And with John Mark, one of the things that I really love is just the way that he challenges me, but also I feel very supported by him. There's an underlying trust because I feel like he believes in me. I know that he thinks that there are some good ideas that I have. (laughs) So when we get started on something and he likes something, then I can believe that. But then also when he pushes back and he's like, maybe something else here, I know that it's coming from a place that isn't only critical. And the ways in which he pushes me, I think are really, really helpful. He kind of pushes against some of my own instincts to like obscure or soften or like complicate some some ideas. You know, sometimes I will say a thing or write a line and he'll be like, oh yeah, I like that. And then two days later, I'll go back to it and I'm like, well, maybe I could rewrite it like this. And, you know, it would be more clever this way and it would have more depth and maybe like the language is prettier or something like that. And John might come back to me and say, no, it was good the way you first came up with it because it was like sort of direct. It was from the heart and it was like the plain spoken way of doing it is actually more effective. And I think that's advice that I could really use often. Um, and he, he's able to put it in a way that, uh, that I can hear it and like accept it. Right. Because when you are singing something that you've, you've written, you're bringing in the baggage of just what you were feeling when you wrote it, or maybe the aspirations of what you wanted it to sound like, or, you know, alternate lines you could have sung, all sorts of extraneous material that went into that creative process and he's approaching it as an outsider as a helpful positive constructive outsider and is able to maybe get show you a, a different perspective on something that you've probably spent a long time thinking about working with yeah he's also just a terrific musician and so sometimes there'll be an idea that i have musically that if left to my own devices it would take me you know i, I might have to work for a few hours to figure out how to execute what i was trying to do But with John Mark, I can say, well, this is the idea. I'm trying to do this and I can play my sort of bad version of it, but I can express the idea. And then he'd be like, oh, like this. And then he can play it on the guitar or on the piano much faster than I could. And so we are able to work kind of more efficiently that way. And I can be like, yeah, that, that, that is, you know, either I can say, oh, actually, now that I hear it, that's not great. Or I can hear him play it and be like, yeah, that's the thing. And then he can just like quickly record it. And then we have it to, to work off of instead of me having to sort of grind for a little while to get a version that's workable. Yeah. Well, he sounds like a, uh, a great collaborator, although I will say I noticed he's also uh, trying to do his own. He's a slight competitor on his YouTube channel. He's basically doing a one man song exploder of one of his own songs <laughs> yeah. uh, where he's he's breaking down all the different tracks, all the, the stems and explaining what they mean. And I, I don't know. You better better watch out for this guy. I, I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I approve. I approve of everybody doing their own their own song exploders. That was really the point of the show um, was for artists to be able to have a context where they could talk about the reasons why they made something and and how and what the creative decisions were. Um, but there are more songs. There are obviously just way too many songs 
out there for me to be able to make episodes. So I think uh, as many artists as want to do that themselves, that's great. Definitely. Well, that was John Mark Nelson, who is on Twitter and Instagram at John Mark Nelson. It's Final Friday. We have time for one more follow today. Rishikesh, I asked you for someone who's an expert in a very specific niche you love, and you said Eric Agard, who is on Twitter at E underscore A underscore R-L-Y. Eric is the crossword puzzle editor at USA Today and a crossword setter at The New Yorker. So I'm going to take a wild leap here and assume that you are a big fan of crossword puzzles. I am, and uh, I love Eric's puzzles in particular. He is a fantastic puzzle constructor. I mean, he's also a great puzzle solver. He, he is, uh, if you pay it all, if you pay attention at all to, uh, crossword competitions, he is, he just decimates people. Um, <laughs> but he's also very, very good at, at constructing puzzles. So, so, so what is it that he does that, uh, sets him apart, so to speak? The joy I think from crosswords usually comes from like the themed answers a lot of times like the longer they're the longer answers that uh sort of all tie in and they might be there might be some kind of like clever mechanism behind them but then what ends up happening is a lot of times like in service of those longer clues you get all the sort of the short words it's it's just called the fill you know like the little four letter three letter things and if you're someone who solves crosswords regularly you run into the same kind of fill all the time Mm -hmm. and some of those some of those are like just repetitive and some of them are kind of nonsense. You're like, wow, this is really, this is quite bad. What I love about Eric is that he, he is very thoughtful about all of his clues and his answers. Um, So you often run into answers that you've never seen before. I mean, like he is a, he's a big fan of the WNBA. There's a good chance that if you see a, a WNBA clue in a crossword, it might be constructed by Eric Agard. <laughs> and and I, I just, I love that. I, I think the way that he references culture is very modern and very refreshing because one of the problems with crosswords is that it can be kind of stodgy and very white and just not exciting after having solved, you know, a thousand crossword puzzles. Right. Um, and I just, I love the way, sometimes you see the exact same set of letters that you might have seen in another puzzle. But if the clue is given to you in an interesting and refreshing way, it's just as delightful. You know, if, if you've had to think about something in a new way to come up with the same answer, it still counts as like something new. Uh, and I feel like he consistently provides that. And I really appreciate it. Like it doesn't need to be a cryptic crossword. It doesn't need to be like extremely difficult, but it just makes you process the you you have to process things in a slightly different way think an extra second to get to that same that same word or the same set of words yeah i'm not very good at crosswords myself but i was a big fan of the documentary wordplay that came out like 15 years ago and i remember there's a point in that where they were talking about like oh well this this is the new york times we should represent all of culture and at the time their example of what all of culture was was um video game tomb raider croft and it's like yeah, video games, cool. Video games are great, but that's, you know, there's there's so much more blue sky out there. There's so much more to be represented than than just yet another yet another mass medium, you know. Yeah, and Eric has made part of his work in crosswords about inclusion in a way that I really appreciate and especially since having that kind of diversity in the people who make crosswords and the kinds of 
clues and answers that you feature in crosswords only makes them more interesting, not less. And he doesn't sacrifice anything in in terms of quality by doing that. And it's in fact a misapprehension to imagine that you would be sacrificing anything by being more inclusive. And it's the opposite um, because, you know, you get to fill, you get to fit in more ideas in the same kind of 15 by 15 grid. Exactly. And now, in addition to his his crossword prowess, you told me that he was also a Jeopardy champion, and he he was he was a fan favorite on that show. Is that right? Yeah, uh, at least he was a, he was a favorite of mine as a fan of both the show and of of his. Um, I thought his his appearance was fantastic, and um, yeah, and. <laughs> I don't I don't want to spoil it, but maybe I should. Just- Let's go ahead and say Jeopardy spoilers. If, if you're not caught up on Jeopardy from however many years ago, you know, go back and and, and watch it now. <laughs> what, what, what's the what's the spoiler that that's uh, that you're floating with here? <laughs> well, so he, he didn't know the answer to the final Jeopardy. And uh, let's see. I, I, oh, I, I found the, I found the clip here for a second. Here, here we go. All right. Ready. In a hint of the future. In 1973, Marjorie Post gave it to the U.S. government as a warm weather presidential retreat, but it was returned. 30 seconds. Good luck. We don't have 30 seconds, so pause the podcast here if you want to think about it. Okay, time's up. The answer is Mar-a-Lago, whatever, but (laughs) Eric didn't know the answer, and you know, instead of just writing whatever, he wrote, what is you doing, baby? <laughs> um, and he got Alex back to say, what is you doing, baby? Uh, it's just... Legend. Eric Agard, I think you struggled with this one. You were leading, though, with 15,800. What is, what is you doing? What is you doing, baby? Is that what? Too live right now. What is you doing, baby? Well, I'm responding incorrectly. It was it was incredible, and and uh, and then that just thrilled me so much. There is a meme. What is he doing, baby? And that's what he's referencing. And it's yeah. just it was just a delight. I, I saw a tweet recently. Someone saying, "I'm really happy for the new hosts of Jeopardy. They seem like they're having a great time." But Jeopardy should not be hosted by nerds. It should be hosted by people who are who consider themselves slightly above the nerds who come on the show. Yeah, <laughs> Which I feel like Trebek getting getting trolling him a little bit, getting him to say stuff that he, he was too good for. Right. Uh, that's that's one of the joys of the show. <laughs> There's a big overlap between people who are Jeopardy fans and and crossword fans, and I think. People who are very good at crosswords, understandably, are also very good at Jeopardy. So to see all of this stuff come together in one place uh, was fantastic. Absolutely. That was Eric Agard, who is on Twitter at E underscore A underscore R-L-Y. Rishikesh, thank you for sharing your follows with us today. Before we go, let's make sure listeners know how to find you online. Where do you want them to follow you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Rishi Hirway, and my website is rishikesh.co. Pretty much everything that I do is up there. Um, I also have a newsletter that's at rishikesh.bulletin.com. Follow me on Twitter at HeyHeyESJ, and don't forget to follow or subscribe to Follow Friday in your podcast app. If you like this episode, then check out the past Follow Friday interviews with Amanda Aronchik from Planet Money, Bijan Steven from Eclipsed, and Max Miller from Tasting History. Follow Friday's theme music was written by me and performed by Yona Marie. Our show art was illustrated by Dodie Hermerwan. 
Special thanks to our Big Fry Patreon backers, John and Justin. Visit patreon.com slash follow Friday for bonus follows, including one from today's guest, Rishikesh. That's all for this week. This is Eric Johnson reminding you to talk about people behind their backs. And when you do, (laughs) say something nice. See you next Friday. Today's show was brought to you by the Lightning Pod email newsletter, which is where I share my thoughts on the podcasting industry, behind-the-scenes updates on Follow Friday, and links to all of the podcasts that I've been working on. It's free, it's interesting, and you can sign up at lightningpod.fm newsletter.